don't expect to succeed straight away. That would be my my first like thing, you know, for, for any startup. Don't expect to succeed straight away. You're there because you know you're gonna fail. And I think like learn from your failings. I feel like the startups that win are the ones that learn from their failings much faster and they know how to readapt. It's not the ones that like, you know, succeed straight away. Like any startup succeeds straight away. They fail, but the ones that are more resilient and know how to learn quickly and, you know, make that negative into a positive are the ones that succeed. Hey guys, welcome to Startup Hand-Me-Downs, the podcast that passes insights from founders and thought leaders down to the next generation. I'm your host, Philip Kusumu, and thank you so much for giving me the next 30 minutes of your time. I promise it'll be worth it. So today I had the pleasure of interviewing Gaston Turan, who is the current CMO of the dating app Badu. Prior to joining Badu, Gaston was at Google working on a number of products, including YouTube and AdSearch. On this episode, we talk all things marketing and what startups always seem to be missing when they start out trying to acquire users. We also talk about early life and why it's important to always craft a story. All right, let's jump into the episode. So Gaston, thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you. So Gaston, when you are out and about, how do you introduce yourself? Well, I always say that um, I'm a poet in the business world. Um, And that's because I always wanted to write. I always wanted to become um, a poet or a writer and somehow ended up working in in business. And and I do think that uh, in these last few years, what I found is that uh, writing and storytelling are very much connected with marketing. So I think that that's how I see myself right now. I'm a writer, but I'm not a writer in in a typical writing environment. I'm a writer in a business or tech environment. Interesting. Interesting. I've never heard that before for a CMO. (laughs) Um, So talk to me a little bit about early life. Um, Before we get into Badu and your time at Google, what was it like growing up? Well, I grew up um, in a city in the south of Argentina. So it's right at the beginning of the Patagonia. And um, I was very curious when I was a, a child. Although my, my city is, is, is quite small and it's very Argentinian, I was always trying to kind of like explore other cultures and other languages. I remember that um, when I was nine or 10 years old, I, I became fascinated with Japanese and I, I really wanted to learn Japanese. But my mom couldn't find anyone who who could teach Japanese in, in my small city. So, yeah. so that was my first um, relationship, let's say, with technology, because I, I started searching Japanese courses on, on Google and I started learning it. Um, and after a few years, actually, my mom did find um, a Japanese teacher in, in my hometown. So, yeah, I feel like it was a small town. It was very local. But at the same time, I was always trying to explore other other cultures, other continents, and and I think it was a great environment for, for doing that. Oh. And then so when did you, I guess, know that, you know, you wanted to go down this path of marketing? I mean, some people that I've spoken to kind of like, for example, entrepreneurs, some of them knew, you know, from the age of 10, like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to create businesses. Like, when did you know marketing was kind of your thing? Well, I would say... 
Probably never. Like I, when I was a child, I wanted to become a writer or, you know, become more like a journalist. Um, and when I did my interviews to enter Google, um, when I graduated, I studied communications as, as, as an undergrad. Uh, at that point, I wanted to do something more related with, you know, traditional comms or probably, I don't know, some academic research on semiotics, but that was kind of like the area I loved the most. Uh, and when I did my interviews with Google, um, they said like, no, you're 100% marketing. You should go for marketing. <laughs> Do you think the master's degree in marketing was what gave it away? <laughs> that was after I joined Google. Oh, right. Yeah, of course. So this is when this is when I joined, like, you know, straight away, you know, after my undergrad, that I did take one or two courses of marketing as an undergrad, and I hated them. Uh, and it was funny, like, when I joined uh, the Dew, um Sorry, when I joined uh, Google, they, they were like, no, you're 100% marketing. This is what you're about. I almost took it as an insult. I was like, I'm not a marketer. Come on. Um, <laughs> and it took me a while to come out as a marketer. I always say that, you know, I had to come out almost. Um, right. I, I remember the beginning, like, I didn't put it on my on my LinkedIn. I had this kind of, like, weird concept that, you know, marketing is quite frivolous and it's not really... I know it's quite superficial. Like I don't, it's it's not held in high as a regard as you know an accountant or a lawyer, or it's not academic. Is that what the problem was? No, it was more that I thought it was. You know, when you're a student and you want to change the world, I was kind of like in that mentality, and I thought like I'm not going to change the world with marketing. I'm just going to make companies richer, and it was kind of like you know in in that very like anti-marketing way uh, thinking. But but when I started doing marketing, I actually realized that it was. It was such a fascinating thing. So that's why I said, like, I had to almost, you know, change my mind about what marketing is all about. Uh, because at the beginning, I had this very kind of like negative perspective, like what marketing does. Uh, and actually, what I realized is that marketing is just, you know, the science of, you know, influencing and almost like, you know, in a way, being the voice of people or being the voice of the user within the company. Uh, so it's the opposite of what I thought, and it's probably the opposite of what most people think about marketing. Whenever you say marketing to just you know a normal person beyond the tech bubble or beyond like you know our world, people yeah. think it's like almost like oh making making things a little bit fake, right? Um, yeah. But actually, it's the opposite. Like in any organization, what you do as a marketer is just bring the voice of the user at the heart of the organization, say like, hey, actually what people want is X, Y, Z. We are trying to work, you know, towards this direction, but actually nobody cares about it. What we should be doing is doing what people are asking from us. And I feel like that that's what marketing does. Marketing is the voice of the customer in, at the heart of the organization and tries to make sure that, you know, the company is working uh, to deliver that service. So I think like, you know, that was kind of like a moment of realization for me and it was, when I fell in love with marketing, because also what I realized is that in order to do that, like you need to bring a lot of different sides of your brain, you know, from right. a more analytical one to a more creative one, to having emotional intelligence, to understand your customer. Um, so I think like, you know, all in all, it was kind of like, you know, the perfect balance of, uh, you know, bringing multiple skills. So, so that was my, my kind of like journey. I never expected to become a marketer. I actually hated the word marketing. There was something or someone called Google that said like, no, you're a marketer, give it a try. And I'm quite grateful because I gave it a try and I realized that it was 
an amazing uh, opportunity and career. Yeah, no, for sure. And so you you didn't like marketing and then you ended up at the world's biggest advertising agency in the world, um, obviously Google. So what was that like working at Google? I think it's incredible. Uh, it's an incredible company. Uh, it's a company that gives you a lot of freedom, that gives you a lot of tools, and that trusts you to to do, trusts you to like, you know, almost like, you know, make the impossible happen. Uh, I think like that's, that's one of the most beautiful things about Google. When, when I joined the company, I was really young. I didn't know anything. And they just told me like, look, you're going to be in charge of, you know, the editorial, uh, you know, and any kind of decisions for this website that is going to be one of the biggest websites in Latin America uh, for advertisers. I was like, okay, well, thank you. Like you're giving me this much freedom, this much responsibility. Um, so I think like, that's, that's encouraging thing about Google. Like they always give you a lot of freedom and responsibility uh, and they let you explore and they let you do whatever you think is like, you know, right for the brand. Uh, and I think like that, that's why it's such a successful company. And that's why people love working at Google because they, they, they really know how to motivate uh, people. Right. right. And what was, um, can you think of the best projects that you worked on at Google? What was that? What did you do? And I guess what was like the outcome? Sure. Um, I think there are so many that it's, it's, it's really hard to just pick one. Um, I think one of the most fascinating ones was defining the narrative for, for YouTube, uh, defining like what we want to say about YouTube to the world. Uh, and and what YouTube stands for uh, as a platform, um, and I think like that was fascinating because it was almost combining my two passions, combining writing with marketing. Uh, because I think like you know right now like internally marketing there is kind of like a trend to talk about storytelling and the importance of like you know stories and narratives, uh, but most of that is not done with let's say writing tools is done just with, you know, very business corporate tools. And, and I think by being part of that project and at the same time doing a master's in creative writing at Oxford, I, I could contribute a lot to those discussions. And, and I even, you know, came up with um, a framework that was um, something like what, what would Hemingway say about the YouTube story? Uh, and I remember that I brought it to my leadership team uh, on, on in YouTube and, and they love it. And, uh, it was kind of like a great uh, project where I could combine part of my passion and bring some of like my skill set that is beyond marketing to the company. That's great. And also, I wanted to know a bit more about um, search ads, ad search. So yeah. how does it work? And do you think it's still effective today? Because a lot of startups, when they're starting out, um, you know, thousand pound budget, $2,000 budget, $2,000 budgets. Um, you know, they have to be very, very stringent and, um, you know, they're looking for the biggest bang for their buck. Would you advise, um, you know, people to invest in search ads? I think definitely, um, it really depends on what's your marketing strategy. So I would say start with your marketing strategy, start with your audience and then go into your channel mix. But what I can tell you, like right now as a CMO and, you know, speaking to a lot of you know, different CMOs and clients, search is one of the most efficient 
uh, channels, digital channels. And it's one of the most efficient channels because when users go into Google, they already have the intent to purchase. Um, mm. And when we talk about purchase, it can be downloading an app or it can be, you know, sign up to a specific, you know, trial or whatever it is that we define as a purchase. But they really have that intention. Um, and I think like that's why the, the effectiveness of the channel is just really, really high. Um, if you compare it with other channels, uh, like, you know, Facebook or Instagram, they are still like, you know, really important as part of your marketing strategy, but they're going to be a little bit upper in the funnel. They're not like, you know, when, when a user is ready to convert, it's more like, you know, probably on the awareness or consideration stage. So I don't want to get too, too, too jargony, but it basically means that, uh, you know, the user that watches or like an, a video ad or uh, that you know, sees an image on, on Instagram or Facebook, they're not already thinking about, you know, buying that specific, uh, you know, product area or service. Um, so you have to first like, almost like, you know, say, hello, you no, know, this is my brand. This is why I'm quite unique. And then they're going to be ready, you know, to convert after a few interactions with them. Right. Uh, whereas in Google, like someone is already almost going with intention to, to purchase and convert. So I think you're going to see by far much more um, efficient results. But another discussion that, Again, I don't want to come to jargonist making sure that, you know, you attribute the right value to each media channel, because even if it might not be like, you know, the last click, it might still be relevant for your specific purchase journey. No, that's super interesting. And I think you're right in terms of like figuring out what the strategy is first and then establishing, you know, which channels to invest in and target. And I didn't ever, I don't think I ever thought about it that way that, when someone's on Google, they're actually ready to purchase or download as opposed to when they're on Facebook or Instagram. It's like, oh, this is a nice to know. Maybe I need a few more touch points before I put this into Google, for example. No, that's super interesting. And so then I guess how would someone go about once they've decided, okay, we want to be on search ads or we want to invest in search ads, like what should they do? Yeah, as I said, like the first thing that, you know, any startup should think about is, you know, who is my audience? That's the first thing. Like, I think like that's actually a common mistake I see in a lot of startups. They start with the channels. They see like, hey, what should we do in Google? What should we do in, you know, Facebook? The first thing that, you know, they should ask themselves is like, who do we want to influence? Who do we want to sell to? Uh, mm. Define your segment, define your audience, and then get under the skin of that, you know, key segment that you can, uh, you know, sell to. Just get under the skin, understand who they are, understand where they are. Uh, and I think like the natural next step is to define, okay, what's, what's the right message that's going to convince that audience to start using my product and not, you know, my competitor's products. What's your USB, right? Um, mm. Translated into like really interesting consumer language that can be sexy uh, for that audience. And then I think after that is when you start looking into channels. I think, I think channels should be almost like, you know, correlate it with the media habits of your audience, right? If, you, if you're looking into like an audience of, I know, 50 plus, okay, what kind of stuff do they do? Like, where, where do they go? What kind of like, you know, magazines do they read? I think like, what, what kind of like, you know, digital media they use? Um, and I think like after that, you start defining what are the right channels, uh, you, know, for, for, um, you know, for your audience. I think like that's the most important thing. The most important thing is knowing who is your audience, defining what's the right message to convince that audience to start using your product. 
uh, or service. And then after that, defining where you can reach it. Um, and I think like defining where you can reach the audience is basically defining your channel mix. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you necessarily need to use digital channels. It really depends on, you know, who's your audience and, and, and what's the most cost efficient way to, to reach them. That's so interesting. And I think most startup founders, uh, you know, historically myself included, I think we kind of done everything you just said in the reverse order. <laughs> it's kind of like you start with the channel and then you think about what you can do for that channel. And then you think about how you can get that person who you you think might be on that channel. And it's almost like what you just described was like the total opposite of how most people approach it. They, actually, they try and um, create something for the channel as opposed to for the audience where you don't even know if the audience is on that particular channel. So it ends up being a really wasteful exercise. I have advised many startups, and I think it's the most common mistake, uh, that they start their marketing channel first, where actually any good marketing is audience first. Who is your audience? And then all of the, all of the rest follows. And then do you kind of, I, mean, I know you said earlier, you kind of like think about the, um, the, the audience and you get under their skin. So ultimately you create various customer personas. Well, I think... It really depends on like, you know, you know, your startup and how you like to work. I think for me, like the tool of using personas is sometimes quite stereotypical. Um, I'm not a hundred percent convinced about, um, you know, building personas. Uh, I, I, I sometimes think that, you know, we just stereotype, uh, rather than actually getting under the skin of a real, real customer. Uh, for me, like the best exercise that you can do as a startup founder is go and speak to people who you think would be passionate about your product. Go and speak to real people. Don't start like building these kind of like, you know, archetypical personas that sometimes are quite unrealistic and they are based on a lot of assumptions. Just go and speak to real people. Um, and I think at some point you're gonna find a saturation point where everyone is saying more or less the same. Uh, and I think like that's that's important thing. Getting under the skin of real people. So if, you know, building personas helps you, fine. What I find is that a lot of startups build personas, but they end up just building something that is not real. It's, it's very kind of like, you know, fictitious. So my my recommendation is actually go and speak to real people. That's going to be much more enlightening, I would say, than building personas. That's good. And so you, you spoke about, um, you spoke earlier about the time you spent at YouTube and some of the stuff you've done there. So talk to me a bit more about I guess, YouTube and your role there. And ultimately, I know you, you've seen more recently, they've launched the whole streaming service. Did you, did you work on that? Uh, I left the company when, when that, you know, started. Um, my role at YouTube was uh, twofold. Like, as I said, one was like more like defining the narrative, which was more like brand marketing. Um, and then also bringing it to life through a campaign that we did. It was called... Um, we did two campaigns. One was made for you, um, which is basically reminding people why YouTube is is made uh, for you specifically because it has so much diversity of you know creators and platforms and channels. And so so that was kind of like one of the first campaigns that that we did. And the second one, um, it was uh, the second campaign was more than just viewers, and that campaign was specifically targeted towards advertisers. Uh, and it was actually to remind them that, you know, when people go um, to YouTube, they, they don't just watch content. They also do a lot of things. 
Um, that's why there are more than just viewers. There are a lot of doers on YouTube. There are a lot of people that go, you know, and, and, and start learning a language, for example, or like start learning how to do things. Um, and that's a really good, you know, reminder for advertisers that, you know, whenever they do content or whenever they produce ads for, for YouTube, they need to remind themselves that people are not just watching content. They are like highly interacting with that content and they're doing things that doing stuff with that content. No, yeah, no, I totally, totally agree. And I think YouTube recently, I mean, I don't know how much you know about this, but they, um, it's a lot harder for content creators to kind of like live off YouTube. I think it's because of their whole shift towards kind of the subscription and like the premium side of YouTube. Um, were you a part of kind of that strategy at all when you were, when you were there? Uh, I follow it. I follow it when I was there. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wasn't part, but, uh, you know, I follow when, when that whole discussion happened about like starting to develop, uh, YouTube red. Do you think it's going to work? I think it's a really good, uh, bet for Google and for YouTube. I think there's a lot of potential. Interesting. So I want to talk a little bit more about, um, Baidu. Uh, like how did the role of CMO of Baidu come about? Um, obviously you were at Google for, you know, just under five years. So where did Badu come from? So um, I met Andre, who's the founder uh, of Badu. Um, I was already working in a division of Google that is called Google for Entrepreneurs that work particularly with startups and founders. Um, and I met Andre and he was kind of like, you know, very um, enthusiastic about the opportunity to grow Badu, um, you know, having... Uh, good marketing behind it. Um, and that's how, you know, he convinced me and, and I decided to join Adu almost seven months ago. It was a tough decision because it's really hard to leave Google as a company. Uh, but I think it was, it was, you know, a great adventure. Uh, it was a great adventure getting to know, you know, how another really successful tech company works. Um, still like of course much smaller compared to google but the impact you can have in this company is just incredible yeah and i mean i knew about badu you know many yeah. many years ago uh when i mean they still had tens of millions of users but their website was literally like a landing page it looked <laughs> it looked like they didn't even have anything on there it was just a photo of an iphone and a screenshot of badu and it was like download I'm like, oh, interesting. Um, so I guess, I mean, like, Baidu have been around, like I said, for many, many years, tens of millions of users. What are some of the key areas that you're going to be focusing on at Baidu as the CMO? Yeah, so Baidu is a dating app. Um, and right now we're focusing uh, on basically fixing online dating. What we have seen is that, you know, we created almost the category of online dating 12 years ago. Uh, and in between, a lot of other dating apps appear. Um, what we find right now is that people are becoming really tired with online dating just because there's a lot of ghosting. There's a lot of like, you know, endless chatting that doesn't lead anywhere. Um, and people come to, you know, online dating apps because they want to go on dates. But yeah. it seems that online dating isn't doing that. Uh, it's providing a lot of like, you know, ghosts and chats and, you know, trolls, but not actually real people that you can meet. So um, as a dating app, uh, right now we are like in this mission basically to fix online dating and we're going to be the only app that gets you real life dates, not just matches. And how do you, how do, you do that? Because I'm sure 
I mean, I don't use dating apps, um, but I'm sure they all kind of promise that, right? So how do you ensure that? Well, we have a lot of uh, product features in the pipeline that are quite exciting that are going to ensure that you get a real-life date or actually they're going to facilitate real-life dates. Um, some of them, they're already out uh, there, like in, in, the, in, in our app. So we are, for example, the only app that has uh, video calling um, so all other apps, they don't allow you to have a video call in the app. We are the only one that allows you to do that. So it's already going into that direction of allowing you to get to know the person even before you meet in real life and also give you more safety to go to a real life date. Uh, we also have, for example, like user, um, verification. So you do know that, you know, when a user is in our uh, app and he has a tick next to, you know, his or her profile. It's actually that person because we have done a photo verification. We really have all those features that contribute to be, you know, in a much better place to facilitate real life dates. And there are others uh, that are coming and are out in the pipeline that are going to be mega exciting and are going to be actually facilitating more these offline dates coming from um, our app. That's actually a very, very good idea, the video calling. I think that's actually incredible. <laughs> I didn't I didn't know that. Because I always used to think, I'm like, what if someone comes and, you know, you get catfished or something happens or they just don't turn up? I think the video aspect, because then it allows both parties to not, you know, exchange numbers. It's all on the platform. It's safe. You kind of build a relationship before you meet. No, I think that's actually a really, really cool idea. So you must drive high conversions using that, right? You must see a significant uptick in like people who actually go on real dates and move offline. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's one of our key differentiators and we're going even more into this direction in the next few months. So from a marketing perspective, I, mean, that's, I guess that's more of a product marketing aspect. Um, from a marketing perspective, what's, what's the main thing that you are going to be, I guess, bringing to Badu's marketing mix and how have you thought about you know, ensuring to get the message across? I think as a marketer, and as I said, like I think marketing is just listening to people and knowing what they want uh, from you and then deliver towards that. And I think in my case, what, what I listen, you know, for my customers and what I listen, you know, from, from real users, there is a need to make online dating human again. Uh, I think online dating became so removed and so far away from real dates, from human dates, that we need to stand for that. We need to like come back to the roots of what is online dating all about. It's not about catfishing, it's not about ghosting, it's not about endless chats, it's about meeting people. Um, it's about facilitating that, you know, that spark that only happens when you meet face to face. Um, so that's what, you know, I'm gonna be focusing on from, from a you know, marketing point of view, telling those stories of people who met uh, thanks, you know, to online, thanks to an app, but, you know, they created a meaningful connection, they created a meaningful relationship in real life. with um you know like you said before different apps have come up over the years since Badu's inception you know you have the likes of tinder or bumble how are you guys staying relevant and competitive 
in the current landscape of online dating? Yeah, I think our main goal right now is, as I said, like to fix online dating. Uh, we created almost like, you know, online dating as a category. What we felt is that, you know, with the rise of other apps, um, a lot of people seem to be now like almost, um, you know, frustrated with, with dating apps. Uh, this like this common sense of like you use dating apps, but they don't lead you anywhere. So the way we're reinventing ourselves is by actually like being the only dating app that you know delivers dates more than anyone else. Um, so for us, even like you know the conversion rate from matches to dates is going to be a KPI that we're going to be focusing on. Nice. And um, I, I don't know if you saw, but obviously like people like Tinder done a podcast you know, the, the DTR thing. Is that something that you would consider doing as well? Kind of like branded podcast or do you not think your audience would want that? Cause I actually did quite well in, in New York. Yeah. I think like, I, I really like podcasts as a format. Um, I like when content is authentic. I think like that's the most important thing as well. Like as a brand, I always care about doing content that I would like to, you know, consume and I would like to listen to no matter like, like who is behind it? What's the brand behind it? So that would always be my focus when I produce uh, content marketing. Nice. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit and um, focus a bit more on, I guess, marketing for startups. What are some of the mistakes that you usually see startups make when it comes to marketing? Well, I think the first one, I think we already mentioned it, is starting with channels, not starting with the audience. Mm. And another one that I see in a lot of startups is like, almost like an irrational desire to produce a video. Uh, at a certain point, all startups want to produce a video to tell the story. <laughs> yeah. And it's quite funny. I'm not sure like why there is that obsession of like, producing a video, but it's usually quite expensive and it might not deliver you the results you're like, looking for. I think particularly like, you know, startups that are you know, more early stage, um, they should be looking into you know, performance. They shouldn't be looking into brand marketing, right? Um, of course, like brand marketing is, is huge and it's critical, but there are other ways to deliver brand marketing that are less expensive than video. Uh, you know, you can do really good PR. You can do really good, um, you know, just organic uh, marketing. And, and I think... Um, yeah, there is an obsession with, you know, producing almost that like first video that is usually quite expensive and then they don't see any results coming from it um, and they get frustrated. So, so that, that's another common mistake that I see usually in, in, in most of startups. Um, I think, I think that those are probably like two of the most common ones. Another one that is a little bit more technical, let's say, is uh, attribution, right? There's a lot of like last click attribution um and i don't want to get too technical but basically that means that you only attribute value to the last channel before a user converts um, and starts using your product so they don't look into the whole customer journey and how all the different channels can contribute to um you know delivering uh that love you know for for the brand or for the product yeah i mean by all means, get as technical as you you would like to get on the show. Um, you know, just you know, say what what comes to mind. But I guess how can startups ensure that they understand the customer journey? And and when you say customer journey, what what do you mean by that? Basically, um, the way I explain, like you know, the marketing funnel to to my founder, for example, my founder doesn't come from a technical background. 
uh, or a marketing background. So the way I explain it, you know, like kind of like the four stages, right? Awareness, consideration, conversion, and loyalty. Uh, so the way I, 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 I tend to explain that um, is it's kind of like, you know, the way that any marketing or any relationship happens in life. Um, so, for example, when it comes to awareness, it's almost like, you know, the way that you just go, uh, you know, to a bar and, and say, you know, hello, my name is Gaston, right? Uh, that's kind of like the first stage in any relationship. Also in a marketing relationship, saying, hey, this is my brand. Um, second one is consideration. It's actually making, you know, the person or making like, you know, your potential user consider you as the most preferred brand or going back, you know, to the metaphor of the brand, of the bar, sorry, saying like, hey, I'm actually like one of the most interesting people in this bar, right? Uh, hopefully then you can convert um, in a bar situation. Let's not even like, you know, figure out what, what would that mean? Uh, yes. <laughs> and then maybe loyalty, which is a long-term relationship. Uh, those four stages are basically different touch points. Um, and the important thing here is that you will not make someone start using your product just by having one touch point. Just by telling someone, hey, start using my product, that's not enough. You should first start with awareness saying, hello, my, my name is, which means basically my brand is. And after like a few touch points, that person is going to convert and start using your product. Um, there is kind of like a formula that says like from five to nine touch points are needed. Uh, mm. before someone converts. It really depends on the industry. It really depends on your product. It really depends on your service. So it's quite parable. Um, but yeah, usually it's important to know that there is that customer journey and that people don't convert immediately. So interesting. Um, and so for apps um, or for digital products, are there kind of like basic fundamentals in marketing um, for these types of businesses? And if so, what are they? Uh, do you mean fundamentals in, in which sense? So, I mean, if you have a digital product, I mean, I know I'm generalizing a lot, um, an app, for example, are there basic fundamentals when it comes to marketing? Like, for example, oh, you should definitely do X, or if you have a digital product, you need to be on Y. Um, is there something, are there fundamentals for, for digital products or startups? Yeah, I think, I think one that is quite fundamental, and I have seen a lot of mistakes here, um, a lot of startups, particularly like, you know, apps, they focus just on downloads. Um, they focus just on, you know, bringing installs. Um, but what they don't realize is that it's much more important to consider what's the LTV, like the lifetime value of those users that you're bringing. Um, mm. So that's something that is like almost like a fundamental. Um, consider not just how many people you're bringing, consider what kind of people you're bringing. Because if they are not, retain on your platform, probably the business value that they're going to deliver is quite low. It really depends on your product. Maybe you're just like a short term game that, you know, you don't need people to stay on your platform, but usually you want them to stay for a few, uh, at least, you know, for a couple of weeks or months or et cetera. So you always need to consider that as well. Like how do you um, deliver growth that is not just, you know, superficial growth in terms of downloads, but actually real you know, business value um, that is going to deliver more like, you know, retention and long-term uh, growth for, for, for your app or your business. 
No, that's good. Um, and then I had this scenario for you. Um, how would you advise a startup uh, with a limited budget of, um, let's say, $1,000 to market their product? How will they get their product out there? For example, uh, I have a nutritional men's health startup or an app. How would you advise us to spend that $1,000 effectively? I think you don't need a lot of money to make great marketing. I think you need to know your audience really well, and then you might find ways, you know, to reach them organically. Um, I think potentially, like, you know, with that budget, I would do a really, really good PR stunt or PR kind of like, you know, campaign, uh, so you can get a lot of organic coverage. On, um, mm. I think, like, you know, that would be probably my main focus, like knowing what's the right angle to position your brand and then get organic coverage for, for it. Um, and I feel like you're going to see, you know, much better results uh, from that. So I would say money shouldn't be, you know, kind of like, you know, a, a stop or an obstacle. I think what you should do is like thinking, okay, who's the audience I want to influence and then come up, you know, with ideas that some of them might be really low cost, might be more like, you know, PR related, or it might be more, uh, you know, certain channels that are more, um, let's say exploratory, like, you know, specific magazines that might be, uh, you know, just for that audience, uh, or specific places that might be just for the audience. Um, and then you can leverage those, those channels. I would say that would be my advice. Don't start just by like, you know, throwing that money into the obvious ones, like, you know, Facebook or Google, go and consider where you can find, you know, your audience uh, more, you know, cost efficiently with a message that's going to get them excited about, about you. That's, that's actually very, very good advice. I think so often startups, again, I'm very guilty of that. It's just, oh, we need to buy Facebook ads. Oh, we need to buy Instagram ads. And I think that's where the desire for the video comes from, like you said earlier. If we have a video, then we can put it on Facebook and Instagram, and then everyone's going to see our product, and then it's going to be really cool, which never works out. <laughs> um, I want to switch gears now and just work towards wrapping up. I have a few like rapid fire questions for you. So what's been or who has been your biggest inspiration to date? Um, I think probably uh, Garcia Marquez, uh, a Colombian writer uh, that I love. Um, I think he he's incredible. Like the way he writes, the way he describes places, the way he describes relationships. It's just amazing. And I think like that level of you know emotion that he can communicate just using words has been an inspiration for me. And it's something that I would like to achieve with any campaign I do, with any text I write, with anything I do. Like almost like awakening things that are numb in a way for, for most people. Good. Favorite podcast? Um, I would say yours. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. I don't listen like, you know, to just one podcast like you know every now and then uh i just listen like you know specific topics that i like i like to hear more about and then i just unload it on my phone and i listen to it um i started to listen some radio drama or podcast as well and i have here some that were really really cool uh i would say i have a lot more you know to explore and learn about podcasts interesting favorite blog favorite blog um well, that's a good question. Um, I have many, uh, again, um, I would say that probably anything that is more like related to 
you know, economic analysis, I really enjoy. Uh, for marketing, I really like uh, the the blog from Abinash that is called Digital Marketing Analytics. I think he's he's one of the best blogs in terms of like digital marketing and analytics. Interesting. Check him out. Uh, favorite Instagram account? Uh, wow. Um, <laughs> probably one of my best friends' uh, Instagram accounts. She's she's one of my classmates from uni and what i like is that um she's kind of like an influencer in the spanish-speaking world uh, and what i love is that you know her posts are really long so it's like mostly text rather than image uh, and, and she's incredibly successful so i like that she's almost like you know not respecting the rules of the platform which is most mostly you know visual led She's like actually like you know leading with text, but at the same time she's being mega successful. So I, re- I really like that different approach to, to Instagram. What's her name? Candela. Candela Sanchez. Nice. What do you wish you could do that you currently can't do? Oh, wow, that's a many things. Um, <laughs> one one thing. I would love to work more remotely. I would love to have the opportunity to work. Um, you know, in different places. I do travel a lot, you know, because of work, but I would love to have, you know, more kind of like, you know, a freelance uh, life. I'm always so jealous uh, of, you know, people who can, who can do that. Um, at the same time, I know that people who are freelance, they are really jealous of people who have like just one place where they work. So yeah, it's almost like, it's, it's. Grass almost, is always greener. Exactly. The grass is always greener. Uh, but I would love, I would love to have that flexibility. I think I love learning, you know, about new cultures and new places. And sometimes, uh, I think when you're just in one city, you you kind of miss that. I mean, yeah, but yeah, I think you've done a fair, your fair share of traveling. I mean, Argentina, Brazil, London. You go to Russia. Uh, it could be. Yeah, but you always want more, right? That's that's what you always want more. Um, advice you would give to your 21 year old self? I think. It's it's a good question because I think I was actually much wiser when I was twenty one that you know when I now <laughs> so it would be like what your twenty eight would tell your twenty one actually it would be the opposite I think uh, I don't know I think I think at that time um, I was much more you know certain about who I was than you know I am right now um, and and that's because when you're like that young I think like you almost feel that, you know, you can eat the world in a way. Uh, yeah. And then and then the world shows you that, that, no, it's not that easy. The world, you know, the world shows you that, like, there are some obstacles and it's not, it's not always like, you know, you think, or it's not always that uh, easy to achieve things. So I would actually, you know, revert that question. I think, like, my 21-year-old should tell me, like, Gaston is still possible. Like, you can still go and conquer the world, uh, go and have, you know, high hopes about your future and, and don't just, you know, calculate every step of your career. Just go for it because you're going you're gonna to achieve it. That's good. If you had $100 in your favorite city, what would you spend it on? Probably books. I'm, I'm quite nerdy. I love reading. So. <laughs> That's not bad. That's not bad. That's uh, actually a really good answer, actually. Books and coffee. Books and coffee. Do you go into the coffee shop where you'll read the books? Yes, that's why. It's a good combination. Very good combination. What's the one thing startups should ignore in the early days? 
I would probably say revenue, but but I know it would be a lie because <laughs> I don't care about revenue. Uh, I would say just like yeah, I mean like revenue is important, but don't expect it coming like straight away. Uh, it's a long term investment, and you're gonna see like highs and lows. I think like don't expect to succeed straight away. That would be my my first like thing, you know, for for any start. Don't expect to succeed straight away. You're there because you know you're going to fail. And I think, like, learn from your failings. I feel like the startups that win are the ones that learn from their failings much faster. And they know how to readapt. It's not the ones that, like, you know, succeed straight away. Like, any startup succeeds straight away. They fail, but the ones that are more resilient and know how to learn quickly and, you know, make that negative into a positive are the ones that succeed. And finally, what's your vision for... Badu as the CMO right now? Like, what would, what would you say, you know, after five, 10 years is the goal and for you to be like, okay, I've achieved this at Badu? I think it's for, you know, people feel great again about, you know, online dating. I think when I speak to my friends, when I speak to, you know, different people, they always feel like, you know, oh, online dating is killing, you know, uh, the dating world like we're just like you know in a meat market we're not actually like you know feeling uh, that we're connecting with people and i think like my mission is to revert that trend to make to do the first app that makes online dating human again that you know we actually make online work for the benefit of offline to make you know online the first uh, and the most successful way to, to get to know real people and to have meaningful connections with, with real people. That's good. Gaston, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, where can people find you if they want to get in contact with you, if you want to be found? Yeah, sure. Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn. I'm more than happy to, to also, like, you know, if, if, if they want, like, contact me on Twitter uh, or any other social network. But I think, like, probably LinkedIn is, is the easiest way. You want to give people your LinkedIn and Twitter? Yes, it's my name. So Gaston Torn uh, on LinkedIn uh, or LinkedIn.com slash SheTorn. Uh, um, and then my Twitter is SirCommun, which is S-E-R-C-O-M-U-N. Awesome. Listen, Gaston, thank you so much for coming on. No, thank you. Bye-bye. Just want to say another huge thank you to Gaston for coming on the show and dropping all that wisdom on us with regards to marketing your startup. Like I said, guys, I too fell into that trap of just trying to create a video and, you know, seeing what happens. Uh, makes no sense. I don't know why we do it. I definitely am going to start thinking about, you know, Google AdWords. And like he said, you know, when people go to Google, they're there to buy. So guys, maybe think about switching your marketing strategy and including something on Google. As always, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. And if you haven't already, please subscribe and leave a review on the Apple Podcasting app. We're also available on Breaker, the new social networking um, podcast app. So be sure to give us a follow at Startup Handbedowns on there too. As always, guys, keep grinding.